0: Mari is an amazing writer who writes about hard questions, hope, and the Holy Spirit over on her blog, maricoclerk.com. Her writing is deep, and it's real, and it always makes me cry in the very best way. But she tells the truth about life with pinches of humor and wit and a little bit of sarcasm that leaves you laughing while you're crying. It is just the best. And friends, I am super excited to share this conversation with you. So here's the thing. We love our people, right? And we want to be there for them, especially when they're going through something really hard. But if you're anything like me, you're not always exactly sure how to do that. When something bad happens, I'm always afraid I'm gonna say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or get in the way when what this person really needs is space. I wanna be present and be there for them, but I also don't wanna bother them. I wanna send them something to show them in some tangible way that they're not alone, but I'm never exactly sure what to send. I just feel at a loss for what to do when my people are going through something hard. And that's why I love this episode so much because from the perspective of someone who's recently been there, recently gone through something really hard in her own life, Mari teaches us how to respond. Friends, this episode is going to make you laugh and it's probably gonna make you cry. And in the end, it's gonna make you a better friend. Mari's thoughts on this subject have totally, totally changed the way that I love my people in hard seasons. And I'm so excited to share this with you because I have a feeling it's going to do the exact same thing for you. Okay, you ready? Let's dive into my conversation with Mari. I'm so happy and proud to have you on the show again, and I'm super excited for what we have in store today. I we've had lots of conversations on the show before, but I'm so excited because, like, we're gonna get to hear from you in a way we haven't gotten to today, and you have some wisdom to share that I I cannot think of a single person on the planet that I would rather hear from on this subject. Oh, that's so nice. Um, so before we do that, though, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and I'm really excited for your fun fact. Oh, okay,
1: so if you haven't heard from me before on the podcast, my name's Mari. I'm one of Steph's friends. I am a writer and a blogger and a mom and a pal. I live in Nashville as well. And my fun fact is also if you follow me, I felt like I needed to give like a crash course in how to pronounce my name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why, and why? I, feel like, why? I feel like I have to preface with, um, Seth. Yes. <laughs> I need you to know that I am not upset in any way. And it doesn't bother me when people mispronounce my name. But you have occasionally mispronounced my full name. So Mari is my nickname.
0: Okay, no, but what you mean by that, you warned me about this. (laughs) What you mean to say is that I've mispronounced your name from the day I met you and that we have been friends for a really long time and I've never said it right. To be fair
1: (laughs) to you, I don't use my full name in my day-to-day as often I use it for my like my social media handle and my media stuff because it tends to be easier to spell. My parents decided to be so phonetic about it. Mariko, which is my full name, <laughs> is spelled M-A-R-I-K-O. It's a traditional Japanese name. I'm part Japanese. Mari, my nickname, is spelled M-A-R-R-I, because my parents thought that if they stuck with M-A-R-I, people would say Mary or Marie. Yep. So it's M-A-R-R-I. But M-A-R-I-K-O. Anyway, so my full name is Mariko. A lot of people, including Steph, <laughs> say Mariko. M-A-R-I-K-O. Mariko. Mariko. Right? Which is understandable, like a quick nerdy crash course in the way that people pronounce things. A lot of Western pronunciations tend to have the emphasis on the second syllable. Like think of a lot of your friends' names like Amanda. Oh, yeah. Teresa. Yeah. It's like always goes up in the middle. I guess Stephanie's a, an exception to that. Stephanie, yeah. But Eastern names, like in Japan, tend to have an emphasis on the first syllable. So like Mariko
0: instead of Marika. When she said this to me, like <laughs> five minutes ago, after like two and a half years of friendship, I was like. It's not so much a fun fact as, like, an, I'm sorry I didn't tell you (laughs) soon. Is
1: it too late to tell you this?
0: No, uh, never too late. Um, I, like, looked at you and, like, I I really do feel like I had to kind of, like, watch your mouth and be like, Mariko. Mariko. But it really helped when you said, it's going to honestly take me a while. And every time I say, well, I never say your full name. That's why. That's why. So, to be fair to you, like, I don't think...
1: Aside from, like, the few times you've introduced me for the podcast or talked about, like, my Instagram handle. Yeah. You call me Mari. Everyone calls me Mari except for, like, my dad and my husband. Drew calls me Mariko pretty consistently.
0: Really? Like, in, like, a, an endearing way. Oh, okay. I'm like, man, I've never heard him call you that. Um, okay. Mariko, right? Yeah. Mariko. I literally feel like, it's I'm like Mario. am like Mario and Luigi? Mario yeah, Kart?
1: Mario. You don't say Mario Kart. You say
0: Mario Kart. Mario Kart. I'm going to say Mario. Okay. <laughs> Mariko. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, thanks for telling me. <laughs> Sorry it took me so long. That's handy. not a reflection on our friendship
1: or on my comfortability with you. It's really to the point where like so many people mispronounce it, like 30 to 40% that I just like, I accept it. I'm like, I go by that too.
0: Sure, I'll yeah, answer like, whatever. Yeah. Well, Mari, I'm Mariko. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled that you told me. <laughs> I feel like that's proof that you, like this happens all the time, you know, where it's like, I mean, a lot of people think that may my middle name is M a E or they mm-hmm. think it's hyphenated. It's that's really confusing to people too. May is actually my maiden name. That's my like maiden last name. Did you not know that? I don't think so. Oh my gosh. Cause Mariko. a lot of people
1: have may as a middle name. Oh yeah. Okay. Mariko, <laughs> here's your
0: counter fun fact. Stephanie may. Um, my Smay, as some of my S- friends call S-may. it, <laughs> um, they would be the first. So, my maiden name, my full name when I was born was Stephanie Louise May, that was my full name. And so, when Carl and I got married, I had to figure out what to do, yeah, about my name. And I thought about, like, I don't know, I thought about maybe just staying Stephanie May for work stuff, or you know, I, I don't know, it was just complicated. I ended up to my mother's dismay, Mom, I'm so sorry. Um, dropping the Louise and keeping Is Louise her name. It's um like a family name. It okay. is her middle name too. So I dropped Louise and then moved May to be my middle name, but it's confusing because growing up, people would sometimes think that May was already my middle name and it wasn't, but now it is. It's not a very common last name. No, it's not a common last name. And like, I mean, people might like my father-in-law would like hyphenate it for a while and like on our tax forms. we're like, no, like it's not hyphenated. So anyway, it's, I mean, I understand the confusing name and see, you didn't know me back. I didn't. Now we know. Mariko Mariko? and Stephanie May. May. Wilson. Wilson. Well, now that we've done that, um, I'm glad we spent a, maybe an extra minute on that because, okay, we're going to be honest. Our topic for today is a little... It's a heavy one. It's a heavy one. Yeah. But I'm so excited about this because Mari, I, and I'm going to have you tell the story of like what happened and then how we got into this, but your teaching on this has been such an important guide for me in an area of life that I feel very lost, confused, and to be honest, just like stupid in. And I think like, I'm going to just take one for the team. I know I'm not the only one. I think we all feel very confused and very lost in like, in how we handle this. And so and your writing on it has changed everything for me. And that's why I knew we had to talk about it. So y'all know that this is going to be like super practical and really helpful. Um, and I think that you're going to be like really, really glad we talked about this. So with that said, we're going to have Mari take one for the team and we're going to have her tell us a story, a hard story of, of, of a really sad season you went through. A season that Steph personally walked
1: through with me. Um, and I think that that's why, it is a little easier to talk about it with you because I'm not presenting these facts as new, like you were there.
0: Yeah, which feels really honoring to me. Like, like oh. I feel really honored
1: to have gotten to be there. So two years ago now, we had been here in Nashville for a few months um, and had found out that we were pregnant with our second child. We were really excited. We did the whole, like, you know, 12, usually wait about 12 weeks um, before you tell anyone because that's like a pretty high risk time for pregnancies. Um, we made the announcement a few weeks after that sort of danger time had passed. Um, we announced that we were pregnant to our friends and family on Thanksgiving and like it Drew's family has this tradition where everyone goes around and they say what they're thankful for, but they write it on, I don't think I've told you this on a piece of paper and then they make a paper chain, but they have it going back like Years and years and years there's this giant paper chain. It's his family friends actually and they just loop it around the living area in their house. So it's just like I don't know, hundreds of feet of paper chain of people's um thankfulness, which is super cool. So you can go back years and years and see what you wrote in 2007 or whatever.
0: I have a practical question about this. Yeah. Before we dive in.
1: How, where do they store that? I don't know. Basement maybe? Yeah. It's an it's a lot. I, I mean, I'm guessing. I would assume it takes up like a refrigerator box at this point.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's huge, but it's super cool. Yeah, that's like the coolest thing. But yeah. I'm like, that was my immediate thought was like, oh where my would gosh, you keep that? You, yeah, because
1: yeah, they you... only put it up once a month and it's like, or once a year. And it's right, like right. this tradition to bring out the thankfulness chain. Oh, that's But really it's a tradition cool. that I really love. And I was so excited. So we all wrote on our chain that year, like the new baby. And we found out we were having a girl and a few... Weeks later, we miscarried, or I miscarried. We lost the baby, we lost our daughter. Um, we had named her Finley Ray. I think I'll just refer to her as Finley in the podcast, that feels a little more natural. But we lost Finley, and it was horrific. Um, I think for the sake of, I didn't know anything about miscarriage really at the time. And I had, I had a daughter, like I've, I've been pregnant before. I just didn't know much about it. And I didn't know anyone who had had a miscarriage before that. Um, So I think for the sake of just like getting information out there, when you are dealing with miscarriage, just like some facts, the first 20 weeks of fetal life, everything grows and develops so rapidly that people's experience with miscarriage tends to be like a pretty broad spectrum because if you miscarry at you know 4 to 6 weeks it ends up feeling more like like a heavy period type of thing mine was a second trimester miscarriage which is really rare but it, and I had like a labor and delivery um so I delivered our daughter um and I say that because like as we talk about practically walking your people through hard stuff but through miscarriage specifically their experience isn't going to be like your sister's friends, girlfriends. Like Everyone distantly knows someone or maybe very closely knows someone or maybe has experienced a miscarriage. It's very common. 20% of women experience it. No one talks about it, but it's comparing apples and oranges. And I think it's important to know that because you can't be empathetic to someone if you're holding so fast to your um, more narrow understanding of what a miscarriage is. Like there's a, a, a very varied definition of what it's going to be person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important to note, especially as like we go forward with more practical tips that like someone's physical experience will have been very different. Like someone may have just had a labor and delivery like I had, or someone may have had a very different, like, I would say less intense physical experience. Um, no less tragic, but, um, physically different, um, for the mom specifically. Um, so we miscarried. I miscarried. There needs to be a better word for it because miscarried sort of implies like a mistake. Like you you, you slipped up. Like it literally is saying carried wrong. You carried it wrong, which is so yeah. We- and like there, sh- there should be, I don't know, a whole podcast dedicated to miscarriage specifically because there is so many, so much misunderstanding out there. And I think that's why I am, I wouldn't, I don't know if excited's the right word, but I feel purposed in talking about this because I didn't know enough to be there for people in my life. And I felt like there was times where I wish that the people around me maybe just knew a little bit more of just like the facts around it. So we lost our daughter Finley in December of 2016. And it was just awful. Anyone who has gone through a miscarriage or infant loss or child loss knows it's just the most shattering thing that can happen to you. And we were just thrown right before Christmas, which sucked. We were just thrown sort of headlong into grief. And I personally, actually Drew is the same. I had never grieved someone before. I had never lost someone lost someone um, that close to me, that um, dear to me. And I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, if you're like me, I... Researched it, I decided it would be smart to go on Google. And I Googled the five stages of grief and was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to get through this, (laughs) which is just maddening because those five stages, it's not like one of those things where once you make it through the five stages, it's over. You can go, you can cycle through those stages 500 times in a day, much less over the course of a few months. And you're never really done with it and they don't go in order. It's not, it wasn't the orderly experience that I wanted it to be. It was just shattering. We were just, there's no way to really describe grief unless you've been there. Um, it's, I think Liz Gilbert talks about this in E-Pray Love. She says that she's explaining to her friend, um, they're exchanging colloquialisms, and she's explaining to her Italian friend the phrase, I've been there before. And he's like, I don't get it. How does that that mean that you've experienced something? And she was explaining, it's usually with something hard, usually with grief, that sometimes grief is so all-encompassing, so harrowing, and so claustrophobic that it feels like a place that you're trapped in. And there's no way to fully explain it to someone. So to say to someone like, I've been there before is so powerful, especially when it comes to grief, because it's like, you know, like you've been trapped in that suffocating, heavy, dark, lonely place. I've been there before and I get it. Sorry so it was just an awful 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 obviously um couple of months and we have a daughter um another daughter Ada who she's 3 now so she was almost 2 at the time and that's just like the the worst part about grieving it's like you still have to carry on with your practical life the world doesn't stop moving because you lost someone like I still I remember buying milk at Target and like pulling it out of the refrigerated case and just looking around and being like what are all of you people doing Finley died like why are you at Target like why am I at Target but it's like the milk has to get bought and, like that's the hardest thing is like you have to carry on with your life we had to take care of our daughter we have to pay our bills we have to go to work all these like the world keeps turning And you're just like trying to keep your head above water. Um, and then added to that (laughs) fun season, um, a few weeks later, a few weeks later. Yeah. Like six or eight weeks. Um, after we lost Finley, drew was laid off from his job. And so that was just this added layer of chaos and sadness and panic. Um, on top of the grief that we were already feeling. Um, so that, that, I mean, there's nothing else to say. That was, that's what happened and it was awful. And I feel like I'm, even though I keep crying, I feel like I'm speaking from a place of like, they say you shouldn't share about things until you're speaking from your scars and not your wounds. And I feel like it's gotten, it's been almost two years now. And I feel like I'm starting to grow some scars as opposed to like these open wounds, um, where I feel like I can sort of talk about it. Um, and actually sharing on my blog has been amazingly healing because you find community and like, it's oddly comforting to be in the same boat as other people who have lost loved ones, but specifically who have lost babies or children. There's just this, this whole awful, terrible, but incredibly supportive group, like the bereaved parents group is like one, no one ever wants to join, but once you're in it, it's just like incredibly heartening.
0: Yeah. Like, I'm so glad if I have to be here, so glad I'm not, I'm not glad I'm here. I'm not glad you're here, but if we're here, I'm glad we're together. Yeah. And that's
1: what I've like, that's sort of like my, the thing that I say to people now, because now it's, it's now people come to me, which I'm so grateful that I can be that for them. But yeah, I'm also like, I'm so sad that you have to come to me. I'm so sad that the, you're in this boat now. It's yeah.
0: the worst boat, but I'm here with you. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of how, like, I remember you calling me, texting me when, um when Drew lost his job, because yes. we had talked about how Carl and I had both lost two jobs each before our first <laughs> anniversary. And I remember thinking, like, I do remember the day that we lost our jobs thinking, holy moly, I never thought I'd be in this boat. I never thought like, there's a club of people who've been laid off from their job. And I literally never thought that I would join this club. Yeah, And I wasn't happy about joining the club, but like there, I've gotten phone calls from a lot of people I love on the day that they've lost their job because they know I've been there. And yep. like, I'm not happy I was there. I'm not happy you're there, but like, I'm so happy that, like, that I can be there, that we can be there together, you
1: know? Yeah. I think there's this like bizarre sense of relief that comes. And you say it all the time and you said it to me. I think we went for lunch, like maybe like six months or so after everything fell apart and you told me your mess will become your message. Like it's impossible to believe that now. Cause I was feeling so lost and so dark. Um, and I remember you telling me like this, seems like it can't possibly be true but your mess will become your message and it has been by far like one of the most beautiful communities that has formed within my my little space on the internet um, has been sharing about grief and sadness and darkness and all of the like really tough questions that accompany. A dark season like that. It really, um, burns everything away in a great way because it like really gets your priorities in order, but in a, obviously a really tough way, it's tough to have everything kind of fall apart.
0: Yeah. Well, Mari, I'm really glad that you mentioned your blog because that's really, you know, I, I don't know how much, how long after this happened, you wrote this blog post, but you wrote a blog post kind of guiding people through how to respond when someone loses a child. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the post and crying all the way through it and also feeling like it is the most true thing I've ever heard. I've ever heard on this subject. And so that's why I really wanted to have you here today, because there are a lot of really practical things that you shared that actually you and I realized are not just about miscarriage or infant loss. Like they're, I mean, they're about, it's, if you have someone that you love, that's going through something hard, whether it's, small hard or big hard or any kind of hard because you can't actually compare hard yeah. any sort of hard this is these are some really practical things that we can do to help someone and things that we get like seriously seriously wrong and so i know that a lot of these i know that every single one of these came out of things that people either did well for you yeah. or um ways that people sort of accidentally it's no one can make it worse, but like said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. And so, um, I have this whole list that you made and I'm just going to like pick your brain and have you walk me through it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing I, you know, the reason the moment when I knew that I wanted to have this conversation was, um, I've had some dear friends lose parents recently and I had a, a friend in particular and I, it was so sudden, it was out of nowhere and I just was heartbroken for her. And I remember just sitting at my computer and I just was just sobbing for her. I just hate, I was so mad that she was having to go through this. And I was so sad for her. And And I remember thinking, what do I do? What do I say? How do I respond? How do I help? And I remembered your blog post and I went to read it. And Mari, I sat over my computer and like sobbed into my computer reading your words. And I did everything that you said.
1: That makes me cry to hear that. I. It makes me feel like there is... Like, like I lost my daughter and it, I don't know, it sounds weird, but that there's some sort of like legacy tied to what happened that like, it sucks that I don't get to meet Finley until I go to heaven. But I am amazed at what has come out of like the the brutal process of losing her that like, it just feels really redemptive. So I'm glad that you told me Yeah.
0: Um, Okay. Well, so we're going to actually talk about that really specifically in a second, but, or something having to do with that. You'll see what I mean. (laughs) Um, The first thing that you said to do, and I guess really not to do, is you said, don't stay silent. Yes. Can you tell, like, I want to hear why you say that and then also what we're supposed to do instead. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think that I didn't talk about this a few months before I lost Finley. We actually had friends who were pregnant at the same time of, at the same time as us and she was a lot further along than I was with twins and they lost both of their twins in October before we lost Finley and i just remember first of all telling drew like if that ever happens to me i won't survive it <clears throat> and thinking like that i was already like so out of the woods with that but um i also remember thinking okay well i don't want to bother them like that was my first thought like they're dealing with the, arguably the hardest thing that can happen to a parent. I will leave them alone to do their thing. Like they don't want to be bothered. I will let them grieve. Um, and I think that's a pretty standard reaction. Like if you don't know any better, it's like, well, I don't want to make it worse. So I'll just like, I'll let them have their time. Like when
0: someone, I don't know, like, I feel like, I don't know. I hate, I hate saying this, because I I know better. Like I know better. I actually did this a couple months ago and it was like one of those things where I was getting updates on what had happened. Like, you know, every day I was praying, I was crying. I was talking about it with friends. I didn't reach out to this friend for way too long. And my reaction from her vantage point, like was not... It, it looked probably to her, like I didn't care. That was so not the case, but for some reason I didn't. And I should have known, like I know better. I could like, I know I dropped the ball so hard in like, I should have reached out. I should have done more. I should have said something. And I didn't. And like, truly, I mean, I've, I've apologized so many times. I, I mean, it was, it was a huge mistake. And I just, it was like, I was thinking about her, but I didn't tell her. Yeah. And like, if someone doesn't want to read a text, they don't have to, right? Like, so, so what do we do instead? So I think that that's important to know is like, I don't, I don't think you should beat yourself
1: up because as someone who's been on the other side of it, it wasn't that I thought, Oh, so-and-so hasn't said anything. They must not care about me. It's more that the people that did, I was like astounded and so touched. And when you're in such a heavy darkness, even just like a little pinpricks of light is so heartening. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, say anything, anything is better than silence. I think. And I think a lot of times we worry understandably about saying the wrong thing. So we don't want to say the wrong thing. So we're just like, you know what? It's probably better to just, I'll just keep my mouth shut. I would say less is more, but anything is better than nothing. Um, I had people just text me like my sweet friend Becca just texted me like, this sucks. I love you. And like, It's not like I sat there analyzing every message I got, but just hearing from people and knowing that like, I think the, one of the weirdest things about grief is that at some point you get caught in this like weird swirling confusion and you start to question your own grief. And you're like, wait, was that really as sad as I'm acting? You you just like reach this like tumbled up area of darkness where you're like, was it really sad? Did that really happen? This, this surreality takes over. And so for people to affirm, like, this is really sad. This happened. It sucks. You have every right to be so sad. And maybe that's just me. I think that I'm a little bit def- I'm hard on myself when it comes to negative emotions. So I think I kept trying to like talk myself out of it and like, yeah, cheer up, Charlie type thing. But it's yeah. like for people to say like, this sucks. I'm sorry. Sort of like just sort of affirmed it for me. Like, this is, this is sad. You're allowed to be sad. Yeah. So say anything. I really like that. Even a text message, like, I don't think a text message is like, not, I think it's very fitting. I don't think, I think people like worry that it's like too informal. A text message is fine. Someone that I don't even know that well, that I went to college with, got a hold of my address from one of our mutual friends and just sent me a card in the mail. Like, you know, they have plenty of sympathy cards and she just wrote like, we're praying for you. And then her name. And I had to look her up to be like, wait, who is that? Oh my goodness. How kind, like, just, just, isn't that sweet? Like just the kindness of that is just, for me, it was enough to just like a little bit of light in a really, really dark space. And to just know that there are people that love you and that are acknowledging that it sucks. Um, and just letting you know that they're there for you. Yeah. So I think that's like, say something and just convey that you're there. Mm.
0: So That really leads into the second thing you specifically said, do not fall back on spiritual or religious cliches, because I think that when we think, what should I say? First thing comes to mind. It's like some piece of scripture that we should send. And it seems like that's the most helpful thing we can do. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you would say. I would say no.
1: And at first I wasn't sure if that was just me specifically and my faith journey being weird in that. But I went to a grieving parents group and almost every single person that shared, we all sort of went around and shared our experience. Almost every single mom said that like the religious cliches drive me crazy. The Bible verses drive me crazy. And it's not because they're not true. And it's not because we don't love Jesus. And it's not because... It's because it's a band-aid for amputated limb. Like it's not, it's not going to do what God will do, what he needs to do without your cherry picking a scripture that God needs to do the healing work. Grieving is solitary work. And to, to think that you're one magical Bible verse that you chose or like little tidbit about God's sovereignty um, it's not going to fix it. And I think that the worst offender is everything happens for a reason. And I think that that seems like a very natural and kind thing. So I get it. Like I get that. And I get that people are only doing their best. So like for this whole episode, like I understand that people are only ever doing their best. Yeah. And I, on the other end of the spectrum, didn't know what to say until yeah. I was in it. So you don't know till you're in it, but I mean, if we can do better, we should do better. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason implies that there's a reason. And so it implies that your pain and your tragedy is being utilized by God for some sort of what seems to be a cruel master plan. Like if you say everything happens for a reason, then it's like, so my daughter had to die specifically for a for God's plan to come about. It just, it purposes something that doesn't need to be purposed other than like the world is broken and really sad and horrible things happen.
0: And it sucks that your, your daughter died. Like, well, it kind of sounds like if everything happens for a reason, God is in control. Yes. God is, God is in control. It sounds like God killed the person. Exactly. And that's, and that's not true. Like God did not cause Finley to die. Like, no. he? we live in a broken world. We are separated from God. Like, yeah. this world is being slowly redeemed. Like, God is in control. He has a plan. Like, He's redeeming and making all things new, but we're not there yet. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we're there. Not, it's complicated, you know? But, we, I mean, He's not zap like... And, and I think that we think if something bad happens, it's like, well, God's trying to teach me something. No. God doesn't zap babies. No, no, no. Like, He doesn't... That's not His heart. That's not who He is. And, and like, even if not even even beyond
1: miscarriage or infant loss, like any tragedy, it bothers me when people say everything happens for a reason. Like God, God's using this to teach you a lesson. I think that it's semantics, but there's like a really subtle message there. And it paints God as like this small, like the opposite, like this weak entity that needs to use brokenness sort of as a tool to sort of chip away at us and teach us lessons when the God that I believe in and the God of the Bible is all powerful and sovereign and out so big that he's outside of our brokenness. He's not at the same level of it, using it as a tool he's out. He's bigger than it and he's outside of it and he redeems it. But I think redemption is very different than utilization. Yeah. I think that is a very like, like very important distinction that he's not using your brokenness, but he can redeem it.
0: Yeah. And like, he can like, when we go through something really hard, yes, God teaches us and grows us and molds yeah. us and we look more like him, but he didn't do it. He didn't make this in happen order to. in order to. yes, It's out of the broken things that happen because we're in a fallen world. Out of those broken things, he's able to bring beauty and redemption and goodness. Like exactly like you said, you were like, it's so beautiful that there's this legacy that like there's a legacy that Finley left behind. That, like yeah. there's all these, they're beautiful conversations that are happening. But that does not mean God caused this to happen. Yes. And I think that we get really people get really angry with God. And I get it. Like it's so confusing that God is so big, but that our world is so messed up. Yeah. And it's it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. And I think that like the biggest thing I would say is like two things. One, God loves us. God is good 100% of the time. He's good and he loves us. Two, these are really big questions. Like if you are wrestling through like these specific, how is it possible that God is good and true and big and that these bad things happen? Know that that is like an enormous question that everyone yes. has. Talk to someone in your life about it. Yes, Like talk to someone who's older than you, who's been in like a Christian longer than you. Talk to your pastor. Yeah, like, That is when your pastor's in preaching on Sunday, walk up to him and or her, her, him, whoever, whatever, and ask them. It's one of those age old questions that like,
1: Needs its own series on a podcast.
0: But I I Um, love what you're saying about like throwing a a platitude is what it really is. It really is. And I think that
1: if you feel the need to throw a platitude at someone, I want to very gently suggest that you check your own heart. I think that there's this thing that happens when someone goes through a hardship or experiences grief or this, some sort of dark, big overwhelming tragedy happens, that it stirs up a response within us. And our reaction, our understanding of God feels threatened. Our understanding of how the world works feels threatened. Our understanding or our plans for our future feels threatened. So I think that we have this tendency to throw a platitude to sort of like tamp down this panic that we're feeling in reaction to someone else's pain, Mm Which is not fair to that person that's in pain. It's not their job to console you in your panic and grief. It's not their job to be like, oh, thanks for that platitude. That really is applicable in this situation. And you're right. God does have a plan.
0: Now I feel better. It, in
1: reality, like if you're offering that platitude, a lot of times you're offering it from a place of, I need you to agree with me. You down there in that dark place. If you agree with this thing about God being good, it must be true. And I can stop panicking. Yeah. Ooh, that's and a good point. And I think that I would gently suggest that if you feel this panicky need to throw, throw, to offer in the kindness and goodness of your heart, a platitude, a Bible verse, a religious saying at someone who is in the depth of a dark season, check your own beliefs and sit with that and contend with that, sit with the uncomfortability in your own time and space. Yeah. Um, it says something about where you're at in your grief journey or in your faith journey, but don't bring it into someone else's grief journey.
0: Yeah. They should stay separate. Yeah. That makes sense. Like let the person, I think it really is like, let me fix this for you. And I mean, I, my gosh, I try to do that all the time. Like Carl will tell me something hard that he's going through and I will come back at him with a three-step plan and he'll be like, Steph, I just want you to hear me. I just want you to sit with me. And I think that that's like. That's what we're doing. We're, let me give you a three-step plan for how to quickly get through this. Like, yeah. I think you know, we I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, not nearly enough, but I've been going through a really, you know, this because you've yeah. been there, through a really, really hard, long season of anxiety and depression. And I would get emails from people that were like, "Have you tried mm-hmm. yeah. chiropractor yeah. chiro- chiropractics? Have you tried smiling more? Yes. Have you tried like, yes, of course, I've tried those things. But uh, what? How and is- even if you haven't. It's, that's not what you need. Right. It's, moment. it's, a, it's, a, I think, yeah, it, it we, we want to help. We really do. But I think just recognizing that a quick suggestion or have you, have you considered, have you thought of blink usually isn't the thing we need. Usually we just need someone to sit with us. And Especially we do in advice, the depth we'll of it. it. Yes.
1: I think after a time, usually once you, like when you're in the depth of grief, you're just trying to keep your head above water. You're trying not to drown underneath the impossible weight of losing someone you love. You're not like mm, any practical tips for how I can not drown. You're just trying to not drown. Once you get to a, a space and you will get to a space, if you're in the midst of grief, you will get to this space. Once you get to a space of a little bit more organization or distance from it, then it's like, I feel like I have moved into more of a place of like I'm open to practical tips. That grieving mother's group I went to was four months after, I think about four months after I lost Finley. And that was super helpful because I was in that space where I wasn't just in survival mode. I was starting to not feel like I was drowning every day. Like you go, what can, what am I supposed to do with this now? Yeah. And it's like, that's, and when, that's you, when you will probably reach out and ask for tips. Yeah. But to offer it to someone in the midst of their grief, it's like, not only does, is it a little insensitive, but it's also just like, it's going to go right over their head. That's yeah. not what they want then. And to offer that to them is just like, might even make them feel a little bit. I don't know if you feel this way. It's like a little bit silly that like, Oh, if, if that really, if it was so easy to fix it, do you think that I'm so dumb that I haven't tried that? Yeah. And just trying to get
0: through the day. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I really resonate with that. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies, and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Use as directed. Clareton, thank you so much for sponsoring our Girls' Night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book. And while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. Get it off your chest with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p dot com slash friendship. Okay, so so what do we do instead? Like so instead of giving yeah, everything happens for a reason or here's one quick Bible verse or whatever. Like, yeah, what do we do?
1: I think you keep it. It's as it's more simple than you think. Acknowledge that what happened is terrible and let them know that you are there for them. Your job is not to fix them. Your job is to be... I think we think that we need to be God's hands and feet to them as fixers. What you need to be is God's hands f- and feet to them as Emmanuel. Like you need to be around them, like God with them and just be with them. Like that's the thing that meant the most to me in my season of darkest grief was just knowing that I wasn't alone because it's really, really lonely. Grief is one of those things that no one can help you with. And that's one of the reasons it sucks so much is like, it is a solitary journey. And even Drew and I, as we were grieving together, we're in really different places a lot of the time. And that's really difficult to grieve with someone, but separately. So to know that there's people around you who will support you, like you have to do this by yourself, but I am here for you. Like, I think that it's enough to let them know that you're there for them and that what happened really sucks. So I like when I, now when people that I know go through something difficult or even when women that I know miscarry, I keep it like really, really simple. I just say, that's really awful. I'm so sorry. I will be here with you. Like I'll sit close to you in this. There's this picture that I really love from um, the book of Job, the story of Job, like he loses everything. Everything. All at once, similarly to how we felt at the time. Um, And he's sitting on a heap of ashes that used to be like his entire life, his children and his home and his livelihood. And he's sitting on the heap of ashes and he's scraping at these horrible boils that have broken out on his body with a piece, like a shard of pottery, I think it says. (laughs) Like sitting on his ashes, like picking at his skin. And he has like all these people, like, you know, the story, like all these people come and try to give him advice or try to like convince him that God is teaching them a lesson. They're offering these religious platitudes. And he has one friend who just sits with him. And that is a picture that I try to, like, I tried to remind myself of when I was in my grief. And I, when it's a friend that I feel comfortable enough going to this level of detail with, I'll try and say that, that like, I will like, this sucks. And it's like a pile of garbage in your life. Now I will not clean it up for you. I will just sit with you on your pile of dust and ashes while you pick at your scabs. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just sit next to you. Um, and that's all that you really can do to try
0: to do anything more is to try and play God. I think, um, this week, this last weekend, someone did like the kindest thing. I think I don't know. I'm to, I don't want to rank it, but like one of the kindest things that's ever been done for me was done this last weekend. Um, my three of my really really close friends um, flew out to Nashville to surprise me, and to be fair, we sort of. I inadvertently spoiled this surprise, so I knew they were coming, um, but I didn't know why they were coming. I thought that they were just like, we haven't seen each other in forever. Forget this. We're coming. We're yeah. just going to see each other. Yeah. It turns out that they were coming because they knew that I've been in a really hard season and they got here as fast as they could, went the fastest they could all three make it work. And they came because they said, we show up for each other. Yep. And I just could not believe that these three dear friends wanted to just come sit with me. I love and that. And it like... I mean, I just, I cried all weekend <laughs> and it was I like, it was a little funny. Cause I'm like, man, I'm doing so much better now, but my God, I'm so glad you came like still. I'm so glad you came. And, and I think that just having people just be with you is just, there's just no way to explain how needed that is. Yeah. My, the next thing that you said is that we do wrong, that I know I've done wrong a lot Uh is we ask, what can I do? Or let me know what I can do. Yeah. And I've totally done that before. So yeah. Okay. This one blew my mind. So that's wrong.
1: Why? Because then that puts the responsibility on the griever that's saying like, just let me know. Or what can I do? Like someone who's in the midst of their grief doesn't need to be scheduling you or like giving you tips on how to help them, how to help you help them and I think, and it's totally understandable that we go there because we understand that that person is in a sensitive season and we want to be as accommodating as possible. But I think there's a way to do that. And also just sort of like sidestep that whole thing. I think you just do the thing. (laughs) Like it's as simple as that. Like if you were thinking, maybe I should bring them a meal. I don't know. I think I'll text her and say, can I bring you a meal? I just ran into this the other day. I used my own tip and I did it wrong. And then I had to go back and fix it one of my neighbors a few weeks back was the victim of a hate crime. And I texted right away and said, could I, I think I said, could I bring you, I'm so sorry this happened. I just heard, could I bring you dinner? And then I didn't get a response for a few minutes. And then I realized like, oh my goodness, I'm like not even taking my own advice. So I said, let me rephrase that. What I meant to say was I made two chicken pies one is on its way to your house for dinner, in the like yeah you just like you can you got to course correct sometimes and I didn't want to put it on my neighbor to decide whether or not like here's what you can make and here's when you can bring it like she's dealing with her own thing yep and I think that it's totally understandable that we go there like we want to like ask for permission first but just do it like I mean I have a few examples on the blog but like if you have any doubts, like if you're worried about being accommodating, you can always tell them your plan and then it's on them to reject it. But like, if you're thinking of making food, just say like, I'm making chili. Can I leave it on your front porch at five? Or, um, I was going to come over and mow the lawn on Tuesday is three 30 a good time. Or I'm going to come over and do a load of laundry for you. Um, can I bring you a latte? You know what I mean? And then it's not like the person doesn't have to decide whether you're just being nice and whether or not, they don't have to navigate the whole like polite. I don't want to be a burden. Yeah. Type thing. It's like, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. When would it be most convenient for you? Yeah. And we had people in our life who did that. And it was so incredibly, it was a, just a gift the way that they did it. Um, My friend Maven, who is wonderful said, we heard what happened. We're bringing food um we'll leave it outside we'll leave it on the front porch at 5 which was really sweet cuz she knew that you know maybe we weren't up for seeing people and i texted her right back and i was like no come in like we would love to see you so then they came in but and that was she, on you like that was she, on
0: me she showed up but then stayed at the door mm-hmm. like didn't push her way in yep but then you got to say no i want you i want wanted but come you also in. didn't have to be awkward and be like "Yeah, hey, you guys are thanks still for here. the basket bye yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she
1: brought, and this is like a tip that I, I think I told you, this was like, I was like, oh, I need to remember this. She brought a basket with like, I don't know, like four different kinds of cheeses, like a couple of baguettes, a bunch of different fruit, like some olives, like a nice, like a nice, Charcuterie, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basket. Which was amazing because we had Ada. So like Drew and I weren't up to like cooking a meal, but also we're like, you're gnawing this bread and you these apples. <laughs> like it was kid friendly. But also like Drew and I are notoriously terrible at feeding ourselves in a good on a good day. But on a grief day, we were just like wasting away. We just like weren't eating. We weren't would like make food for Ada and then just collapse and exhaustion. So that basket, I think we lived off of it for like a good week. Just like bread and cheese and Um, I think there was like some sausages and fruit. So that is like that. If you're not sure of what to do, that basket, I think is a win. Mm -hmm. Who's going to, who's going to not need that or not eat that. I think um, food is always a win. Yeah. I think that it's, there's a reason that people bond over meals and it's just like, it's nourishing on a lot of different levels.
0: I think it's a way of taking care of someone's physical need that they're, it's like, okay, you can't, I can't do the grief work for you, but I can keep your belly full or I can like make it so that you don't have to think about grieving and feeding yourself.
1: Yeah. It's like the people who hand out the orange slices at a, at a race or like a marathon. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, yeah, I'm not going to run for
0: you. Like, good luck with that. But here's some sustenance on your way. Yes. Yes. Um, that was the first thing that I did. I think I, I sent my friend a text and said, something along the lines of, I'm so sorry this is happening. I'm heartbroken with you. I love you. Yeah. What's your address? Yeah. And, and so that's another thing is like, we had food delivered from, I think it was like Postmates or, you because know, you were out of town, right? I well, Yeah. We so weren't, that's in the same a really place. good tip. Yeah. For... any like Postmates or Uber eats or like any of the food delivery apps. Um, that's, I think when you had, um, your, well, we didn't really talk about this. Um, when you had your daughter, Noah. I have a third daughter. Yes, she does. Um, when Noah was born, I was in Denver yes. and I wanted to bring over food, Yes, but instead I was like, I couldn't cause I wasn't home. And so I was like, Mari, like order whatever you want. And, and I'm going awesome. to you. And that's, it was like so easy, but then you guys didn't have to think about dinner or, yep. I mean, there's a lot of places that deliver.
1: Yep. So, I mean, there's no real excuse to not send someone food these days because of the apps that we have. It's like, just do it. Just totally send easy. the food or send, yeah. or like, you know, your people you're going to know how to take care of them best. Yeah. And then do, the thing that pops in your mind just do it. And like I think we we at least I like worry about doing the wrong thing. Like it's better to do the wrong thing than to do nothing. Yeah. And know that your uncomfortability is noted, but um like not held against you. Mm. That like the the people who came to our house, like they came to see parents who had just lost an, a baby. Like there's no comfortable conversation that happens there. But I didn't care that they were uncomfortable. I wasn't like, "Come on, guys, get it together." Like you were just like really glad they so were you there. I can't believe that you came in here because I know how uncomfortable you
0: must be, and that means a lot to me. Uh, so show up, yeah, with food in hand. With food in hand, <laughs> there. Um, my I didn't really talk about this like on Instagram or anything because I was just basically too sad to do anything. But um, uh, two years ago, my um, mom's mom, my grandma, um, passed away, and she was like just one of my favorite closest people. Just, yeah. I feel like I can't even fully explain like how much I loved her and how close we were. Um, but she was in the hospital. We were in Washington, DC, which is where she's from. And my mom and my sister, my mom was already there with her, but my sister and I flew out, um, trying to get there in time to just say goodbye. And so I'm at the hospital and I'm saying goodbye and I'm just wrecked just like in pieces. And I texted a friend who we're actually not very close. We have, we're more like friends of friends. Um, I texted her and I said, Hey, um, I know you live here. Uh, what restaurant should we go to tonight? Cause I knew that my mom and my sister and I needed when we left the hospital that night, I knew yeah. that was the last time we were going to see her. We needed something good to eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I said, do you have a food recommendation? And she wrote me back immediately with recommendations. And she said, Steph, I live like two miles from there. Can I come and like bring you guys coffee and just give you a hug? And I called Carl. That was maybe the hardest I cried. I called him and I told him what she said. And I just sobbed. And it was, it was, that was, I think maybe the kindest thing anyone's ever done for me. And the thing is, I told her not to come. And I actually maybe a little bit regret that. I think I was afraid that if she showed up with a hug, I would have like, not been able to get off the floor just because someone familiar, someone who wasn't in the situation, just someone who cared enough to bring me and my mom and my sister, like a latte or something. The fact that she would show up, she didn't, she doesn't know me that well, but I think just the fact that she offered, like, I'll never forget it.
1: Yeah. And people will remember that. I think that's, what's important. And like, you might be uncomfortable. You might not know what to say, but like, they won't isn't that the Maya Angelou quote that like, they won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Like you don't know exactly what she said. And you're like, years from now, you probably won't remember what she wanted to bring you. Like you'll never forget how that she made you feel seen in your grief.
0: Yep, Mari, I love you. And I'm so glad that I hate the things that we've been through just in life, all of us all together, you and me and everyone listening. I hate all the stuff we've been through. Um, it sucks. It does, but if we're in it, glad we get to be in it together. Me too. Thank you for sharing this.
1: Thanks for letting me tell our story. It's, it's been a really cool journey to see it become purpose. Like I said,
0: yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm super grateful for you and I'm really, really grateful for all of the wisdom you've given us. Like, okay, don't stay silent, say something, say, Mm -hmm. this sucks. I love you. I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, don't try to explain what's happening. Like, let God take care of that. Don't try to heal it, fix it, or explain it. Just let God do that. All you need to do is sit on the pile of ashes with Mm -hmm. them. Just be there. Don't ask what you can do. Just do something, mow the lawn, send over a housekeeper, Mm -hmm. send food, drop it on the doorstep. Don't feel like you need to go in, like tell them that it's an option, but you like let them make that decision. I'm going to leave it on the doorstep. I love you. Yeah. Um, and, and just, just love them. Just be there for them. Do you have any, like any last tips? The tips that I have are, I, they feel specific to losing a
1: child, but I think that there's more universal applications behind them. Like I know that all of the bereaved parents that I know appreciate when someone uses their child's name. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And again, like there's a spectrum there. So we say Finley. So you say their child's name, if you know it, Mm -hmm. um, use it and don't be afraid. I think we worry that like, well, I don't want to bring it up and make them sad. I don't get sad when you bring up Ada, my three-year-old who is crazy and hilarious. Like I love talking about her. Like, And like, yes, there's a sadness that comes with talking about Finley, but to not ever say her name is almost worse. Like acknowledge that she was a person. So I would say like say their name, whether it was their child or like your Grammy or like say, say their name, bring them up in conversation. Don't shy away from it. Mm -hmm. People don't want you to shy away from their loved ones. They want you to remember them. Like that's the Mm -hmm. The sweetest, the most bittersweet part about grief is remembering. Yeah. Ask, don't be afraid to ask questions. I'm sure everyone's different, but most of the people I know who are in grief, like, want to talk about it, but you never want to be that person that's like, hey, Steph, can we talk about my miscarriage real quick? No one wants to be that person in a conversation, but it's still your story. You still want to be known. And um, when we came over we came over to hang out with you and Carl a few a few months after we lost Finley, I think. And I remember you saying like, I want to know as much as you'll tell me. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, so much liberation in that for me because there were certain parts I wasn't ready to talk about, but it was nice to know that you weren't going to be like, oh yeah, that's a little too much. Like,
0: Well, and I remember you saying like, okay, this is a lot like, or like- It's fairly graphic. Yeah. And, and I, I remember being like, yeah, yeah, no, I really, truly, I want to know whatever you like- I wanted to whatever you wanted. And I just remember like feeling so honored at that dinner and just feeling like, like, thank you for sharing this with me. I like, I'm, I just felt like I was holding something really beautiful and sacred in my hands and I was just really honored to be trusted with it.
1: Yeah. And that came across. And I think that we need to have more conversations like that. Not you and I like people in general. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's an honor there in exchanging vulnerability and sadness and honoring each other's loved ones. Like I love when you talk about your Grammy, but I think the last tip is that the first year is the hardest. I don't know if this is true for everyone, but it was a tip that some of the veteran moms shared with me at the grief group. And it has proven very true for me and for other moms that I've talked to that the first year of grief is really, really, really hard. And it's so nice to, I think it's a nice thing to offer people, but to also keep in your mind, because for me, it gave me permission to like, still be sad six months later and be like, everyone else has sort of moved on with their life. Understandably. Like she wasn't your daughter. Like it would be weird if you were still grieving, but I'm still grieving and that's okay. And I'm still really hardcore grieving and like the first year's the hardest, but it never really stops being hard. But I think to also keep that in mind for people that you love that like, it's going to be at least a year before your friend who lost someone is really out of the hole. Or if you're in the midst of grief, like you've got a year before it even begins to feel better. Yeah. And there's not to make it feel overwhelming, but more to say like, you've got permission. So if someone, you know, is grieving, like, keep in mind that like, they may be sad or like, they may not, they may be a little distant in a conversation. You may not know why, like it was seven months ago, but for them, it's really fresh. Mm -hmm. And also I have a friend who checks in with me still. And I think she, it's so regular that I think she puts reminders on her phone, which I think is so sweet And she'll just kind of pop in and she, and she'll ask like, how are you feeling with your grief today? Or, um, we had another daughter, Noah, and after she was born, she made sure to say like, how is it having a baby after losing one? Um, and knowing that like, this doesn't just magically go away because your life has moved on or because you've had another baby that there's that year mark that like, just to keep in your mind, to check in with your people, that it's still
0: fresh for them much longer than obviously it's fresh for you. That's such a good, that's such a good perspective. Like if you're still grieving, give yourself time, like it's and protect your grief. That is like, I get fired up about that.
1: (laughs) There's going to be people probably who will try to make you feel like you're taking too long or to try to make you feel uncomfortable about your grief, that there's a timeline on it. And it is okay to remove those people or set boundaries with them in your life for the sake of your own grief. Like grief is an important process and you need to protect it as though you're healing from a major wound, a physical wound. Like you would do everything you can to help that wound heal. And if someone kept ripping off the band and being like, you're fine, you're fine. Or like, come on, move on with your life. Why are you still so sad type thing? Like you would get that person out of the room. Yep. So protect your grief. It's an important process and it's uncomfortable, but be in it and see it through.
0: Because if you don't, if you don't go through the process, I'm really glad you said that. Because I think sometimes we feel like grief is like a destination and we have to hang out there for a while and then we can leave. Yes. But it's like, no, it's grief is actually, it's not an inconvenient stop, which is kind of how I always feel. I mean, I want to like get through it as fast as possible. We all do. It's just like, no one wants to do this. Well, it's, and it's, but it's not like a stop along the way to feeling fine. It's how you get through it. Like it's, it is the process of healing is feeling it and grieving and hurting and talking about it and thinking about it and working through it and feeling it all, all the stages of grief you talked about, like it's cycling around that for a long time. And God does his work and your people surround you and feed you. And, and then somehow you start to feel a little bit better. Um, But it's like, you can't skip it. And I think Mm -hmm. when we do, this is a whole topic for a different day. When we do skip our grief, it's like, Shoving it under the rug, that thing is coming back out. Yeah, like, it's not gone. It's just, it's just hidden. You put it off for a and while. Yeah, and it, it's like those things become more damaging the longer we don't face them. We have yeah. to, we have to. Well, it's part of our our human existence. We have to walk through it. Yep, yeah, I totally agree. Mari, I just love you, and I I loved having you here. Thank you for sharing this with us. And um, I feel like because <laughs> this has been a little bit of a hard episode, I want to ask. Let's what? lighten it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's something you've been loving lately? We don't quite have time for all three last questions, but I want to hear one of them. I have been loving. This is like the
1: dumbest thing. I bought my daughter is three, and she's in, into painting her nails now. But painting a three year old's nails or letting her paint her own nails is just it's a nightmare. Because she doesn't want to sit still, and... or she wants to do it herself, and it oh gets gosh. everywhere. Just like, tiny nails, like that's yeah. hard. It's like is it, is it dry yet? Is it dry yet? Is it dry yet? So I bought the instant dry, like brain. Like I had it. An epiphany, and I yeah. bought instant dry nail polish, and it's a life changer.
0: Does it really instantly dry? Yeah, no, like within 60 seconds. Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah, so I'm loving it.
0: Instant dry. Oh my gosh. I painted my toenails like, uh, and I tried to sit there because I feel like I always screw it up. Oh, uh, like yeah. Like two hours later, I put on real shoes. Oh, it's still messed up. Yeah, oh it's the gosh. worst. Yep, the worst. Instant dry. <laughs> instant dry nail polish. All right, good guys, I'm going to link to everything, everything Mari does in our show notes. You guys need to follow her. Um, I feel like this was, I know that this was a heavy episode, but the first, like easiest, quickest way to like laugh is to go on Mari's Instagram because everything that she posts is either like wise and wonderful. And so like exactly what your soul needs to hear or cracks you up. Like you can't even believe (laughs) it. So yeah, head over and check out Mari. We'll link to her in the show notes and Mari. Thank you again for being here. Oh, I love you. Thanks. You guys, isn't Mari amazing? I am so glad y'all got to meet her. Hey, don't forget that you can always find the links from our show as well as all of Mari's contact info over on our show notes. Just go to stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. Friends, thank you so much for being here. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the very best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows is to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls night. So would you guys do me a huge favor and just take a quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help us out so much. And thank you so much to all of you who've left all of those beautiful five-star reviews already. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of girls night. I'll see you then.